Welcome to another podcast by Guns and Yellow Ribbons. It's the only Arsenal podcast that counts. By Arsenal fans, for Arsenal fans. Enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to Guns and Yellow Ribbons. I'm Fergus. Uh, we are live. Uh, we're live all across the globe. We have a Scunny Mike in the background. He is our producer. He will be looking at your questions and putting them up on the screen. So uh, if you've got any questions or want to join in the chat, um, jump on and pop them in and Mike will bring them up and we'll try and uh, uh, chat to you about them. We have a Crystal Palace fan with us. We have Dino. Um, how are you, mate? Not too bad, thank you. How are you? I think you're probably slightly better because uh, you weren't. Uh, we will go into the game in in detail, but um, you weren't very confident beforehand. But uh, we'll no. we see. Had we lost, I would have probably been busy tonight. <laughs> and I was introduced to you by your friend, uh, which is Potsy. Potsy. God, you are a podcast whore. You literally got off Potsy previews <laughs> about what two or three minutes ago. <laughs> podcast yeah, whore. Do you know what? I was, supposed to, I was supposed to be on here in plenty of time, but Mr. Lee Judges, as always, was late, so we had to overrun. So blame Lee, not me. Well, hopefully anybody who has been watching uh, the podcast, uh, Potsy uh, Previews, has joined us, and you're welcome to this channel as well. Uh, welcome from the far side of the world, uh, also from another uh, podcast, uh, from Ars Bros. We have Max. Max is in the future. Max, it's Thursday. It is How Thursday, mate. It is Thursday. And I'm very happy to be making my first live appearance on uh, Guns and Yellow Ribbons this season. I'm sorry it's taken me so long to jump on, Fergus. Uh, you sound like you've just woken up. I've literally <laughs> just I've literally just rolled out of bed, wiped the crud out of my eyes, put on a hat, and uh, made myself some coffee, mate. I'm good to go. No, knowing what Max said, for him to say eyes that time is really, really good because I was expecting <laughs> something completely different. No, no, no. Clean, clean, clean pods and all that, Fergus. I was on one the other day, which was like zero swear words and zero alluding to any sort of swear words. So I'm, I'm good and, to go, mate. I'm practiced. Up. And you manage. You manage yep. all of 15 minute podcast, yeah? Yep. <laughs> Listen, first thing I need to ask, um, more, more importantly, is... You're okay. You're out in Melbourne, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So with the fire relief. Yes. Yeah, look, the basically the something that is bigger than the entirety of an area that is bigger than the entire of the UK is currently on fire and it's still on fire. So we're all good. We're in Melbourne. I drove through it. Um we ended up on holiday and got evacuated out of an area that was on fire and had to drive through it. It's funny, I was doing a well, it's not funny, but I was doing a POTS preview and um, literally saying to POTSy on the preview, oh, yeah, you know, we better finish up the preview because I might get evacuated and literally got off the preview and within an hour, the the app, the like Australian bushfires app pinged up and it was like, yeah, you should probably think about going. So we got out of there. But I was going to do it at the end, but since you brought it up, Fergus, for all the wonderful listeners of Guns and Yellow Ribbons, there's a huge amount of relief needed in Australia, literally imagine the entirety of the size of the UK is on fire. Uh, millions of animals are dead. Uh, tens and twenties of thousands of people uh, displaced, homes displaced. There's fire relief funds going on all around the world. So if you're thinking of a charitable thing to do in this upcoming time, I know a lot of people like doing it for their birthdays and things like that. Uh, Bushfire Relief Australia is probably the one to go for at the moment. There's There's a lot bad here. And the smoke is thick. We will um, please do remind people and uh, share a link in the comments afterwards um, at the end of the show. Please do do again because, like you know, uh, the uh, human humans can run from this sort of stuff, but um, uh, animals can't, unfortunately. And and I think ecologically, it's going to be absolutely dreadful. But we're here to talk about Arsenal. Um, it seems almost minor in in, in the in in the grand scheme of things. Um, Dino, uh, I, I managed to get a last-minute ticket to go to Palace. It might have been easier to go to Melbourne and go to the fires, honestly. <laughs> Jesus. One, the, the, the journey from Essex to there, which is about 20 miles, takes two, two and a half hours. 
Um, it can be challenging. It can be challenging, especially if you get off at Crystal Palace. There's a lot of northern away fans there, and you, you can just chuckle on the same train when you see it. you're about two or three miles away from the ground. Well, we 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 actually got on the train. I I, I got a ticket last minute. I end up in Victoria, uh, Weatherspoons at ten a.m. in the morning, and for me in the pub at ten a.m. the mo- uh, ten a.m. in the morning, it's great. <laughs> and um. Uh, I we had to go from Victoria and we had to get off at Sellers Park. But what we didn't realize is that there's a short platform there. And I was with the guys from um, from our WhatsApp group, Matt, uh, Dan, the, the away boys uh, on the WhatsApp group, which is sorting me out with a ticket. Really good guys. We're all sitting on the train. Lee Judges and a few of the others are sitting on there with us. And uh, um, we're just sitting this on a train track thinking I can see Sellers Park from here. It didn't didn't move. All of a sudden, we're in East Croydon, and we had to wait for a train to go back the other way. <laughs> so we we literally just made we we just made the game and got into our seats just before just at kickoff. But I've been there last year, and what's really good, I don't know if you've ever are you're aware of this as, as an away fan, Dean. Um, you have a DJ right by the bar, and he just pumps out music, and it's just a party atmosphere. It's a great ground for that sort of thing. It does get the crowd going, you know. I mean, half an hour before kickoff. Everyone starts jumping. So the game itself, um, what did you make of the game? Dean? Give, it, give us a summary of what you thought the first half was like, and then we'll 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 go around the Arsenal guys because obviously you're here as a, a Palace fan to represent represent the Eagles. Right. Well, it started as many of our home games have started this season. I we just don't turn up. We just sit back, uh, effectively. You know, give the other team a goal head start as we we did on Saturday, and I believe I, I checked some of the stats. We've managed to score one goal in the first half out of all our home games this season, and then we decide to wake up in the second half where we scored eight or nine, I think. Um, I don't know what's wrong with them. Don't know why they don't. You know, if we come out against some teams, getting their faces, um, we could have probably picked up a few more points this season not that i'm not that i'm complaining uh we're still above you <laughs> um but yeah so far so good for us anyway we can take him out of the stream at any time we've got producer <laughs> Mark in the background we can just get rid of you <laughs> at any point <laughs> no, no, it's not wrong if i didn't glow isn't there i mean it, it, no, it's no, 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 and, and listen, we were on uh potty's preview and we'll talk about that in a second and we're on potty's preview uh, last week, ahead of the uh, Palace game, there was myself, yourself, Manny, me and Manny in the same room. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> then, um, and you were you were hopeful of a draw at best. And, you know, you got that. So it, it, you should be pleased with it. Potsy, um, looking at the game, we started bright. Uh, we scored early. Aubameyang got a, a 12-minute goal. Um, but what did you make of, let, let's look at the first half hour. Listen, I thought it was a very comfortable first half hour. I really did. I didn't think Palace had really caused us too many issues. I thought that personally, Torreira was outstanding. I loved what Aubameyang was doing. Uh, Maitland-Niles didn't really give Zaha a sniff. I thought that the uh, midfield was really balanced again with Chaka and Torreira. I really liked that midfield. Um, And the first half hour was kind of a a very comfortable performance. And I think that Arteta would be very, very impressed with that. Um, Maybe didn't create as much as we would have liked, perhaps, but it was certainly a, a, a kind of in control for that first half hour. Um, and, you know, for me, I can see what Arteta is trying to do there. And, and as soon as it got to that half time and, and things started to go against us, that was when it kind of changed, really. But first half for me, I was extremely impressed, I must admit. And Max, looking at that first half hour um, and uh Dan alluded to the first half. For me, for the first 35 minutes, um, we seemed to be pushing and pushed up the pitch. I was talking to some of the guys around me. And all of a sudden, after 35 minutes, we we just dropped back and we let Palace come upon us. Um, what did you make of, say, that period and then like the early part of the first half? I thought tactically... Um... It was something that Crystal Palace had done intentionally in the first half. I I kind of felt that they were clogging up the middle of the park, uh, especially trying to get onto Ozil, 
on top of Xhaka and Torreira. And that's why uh, you had, I think it was something silly, like 13 final entry passes from David Luiz in the first 40 minutes of the game. And that channel that was open to us was the Kolasinac channel more than anything. I, I guess you had Ainsley Maitland-Niles on the other side who was sort of pinning back Zaha. But I did think it was a, a, a tactical thing from Hodgson in that first 30 minutes. They have the ball wide. And um, frankly, it didn't work. Or did it? Because even though we we had a huge amount of possession, even though we we ran forward and we were we were really 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 looking like we were massively dangerous, we actually didn't create a huge amount of chances in the first half. We definitely didn't convert a huge amount of chances in the first thirty minutes. We just looked very very good, and that's been something of. Mikel Arteta since we've started now and I don't think that's a coaching thing I think that's a squad thing and a and a personnel thing if you really break it down we really lack getting late runners into the box late runners into the box you would have got last season from guys like Mikatarian and guys like Ramsey they don't exist at the moment so as much as everyone looked at that first half and said it was amazing I looked at it and thought there was an element of execution that was missing and Crystal Palace worked it out as the game went on I, I actually think the first half we we dominated definitely the first thirty five minutes, and I'll, I'll I'll see what Dean Dean I thought of it. But looking at the the, the lineups, um, you mentioned some players in there, Ozil for example. It's the first time Arsenal have named the same starting eleven. Um, we had the same starting eleven against Man United as we did have Palace. It's the first time since January 2019 for like a year, uh, which was Fulham and West Ham. And Fulham, the, the Fulham game was uh, wasn't that Ramsey's amazing goal, the team goal that we had. Um, but you talked about um, you talked about that you thought that we didn't have a fantastic half. I thought I thought we dominated that thir- that first. No, no, no. I don't. I don't think that we didn't have a fantastic half. I think that we looked very, very dangerous. But at the end of the day, Fergus, for us to have a fantastic half, we have to execute in larger numbers. And we didn't actually execute that final piece again. It's really only Aubameyang who enters the box for us. So we have a single target. And that's why we need to produce now. It seems almost like that old-fashioned Arsene Wenger goal to break down teams at the moment. When we pop, 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 and we get someone through on goal, we had a huge amount of domination, but Palace were almost sitting there and saying, have the ball in wide areas. We're comfortable or we're confident that we're going to get it done with our centre-backs. Um, I by no means didn't think it was a great 30 minutes. I really thoroughly enjoyed it, but I must admit at the end of that 30 minutes when Palace came back into the game, I thought we haven't executed here again. Okay. Okay. Um, Dino? What did you think of that first that that first thirty minutes? Because it, it, for me, it looked like you just let uh, pressure come upon you all the time. Just on a technical note, I can't hear Dan at all. So if he's saying anything to me, could you? You'll have to translate because my lip reading skills on a mobile phone are embarrassing. Um, he doesn't, going he doesn't back to the, <laughs> going back to the first half, yeah, I I just don't know what it is with us. We just we've done this all season. We just sit back, and I thought as soon as you let Arsenal dictate the game uh, you could have you could have finished it in the first half you know if you'd followed up with a few more you, a second or a third obviously it would have been game over anyway but a second goal I don't think there would have been any coming back for us whether I don't know Roy Hodgson must be getting a sense of deja vu every home match because he must say the same thing at half time time and time again why the players don't listen I just I don't know what it is I mean you, literally you look at our form this season first half we, we're nowhere. Second half, we get our act together and we either claw it back or some, you know, on a few occasions we've um, gained all three points. But we make hard work of it. It's painful to watch sometimes. So it's not, it's no fun being a Palace fan. Trust me. Um, just as a, a little bit note of uh, from one of our um, Arsenal listeners, he just wanted to let you know that he was, um, he was at Palace. Um, uh, sorry, he was at Highbury when we sent uh, when we sent Palace down the last time. So. Um, oh, that's just, right. that's just, share, that's <laughs> just sharing the love yeah. because of don't Brighton. get me started on Mr. Wright, <laughs> Ian Wright and Bright. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'll tell you what you can do if you if you want, uh, Dino, if you refresh your link and join again, 
um, then you should be able to hear Dan in a second. So if you just refresh your link and join again, uh, in the meantime, we'll talk to Dan about the second half. Um, I'll just leave Dan, and come back uh, in, yeah, just leave, just refresh your link and come back in again and, and, and you should be able, able to hear everybody. Uh, Dan, okay. second half, um, Abamyang, uh, well, not the Abamyang, more the um, the goal that we conceded. Uh, Jordan Ayu scored a goal um, and it was a bit of soft. David Luiz had played reasonably well in the... Um, uh, in the build-up to it, and he he got unfortunate. A deflection came off him to for us to concede a goal, and and it put Leno off. Uh, thoughts on it? Yeah, frustrating, really. It kind of everything went wrong, really, didn't it? Obviously, Torreira come off injured, and I really was worried when Guendouzi come on because he has been supportive the last few games. But I personally do like him. I thought he had a good game. He was one of the positives when he did come on. I thought next to Chaka, I think he had a good, did a good job. A lot of people, um, uh, like yourself, Fergus, have disagreed with that. Can you hear me, Dino? Yeah, I can hear you now, Dan. Oh, good man, good man. You don't want to miss this, mate. This is the best bit when I speak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only messing. I'm only messing. We'll Listen, be the, um, we'll be so the judges. Yeah, on. absolutely. So, um, so I think the Torreira thing was a massive blow for us because I thought he was one of our best players. In terms of David Lewis and the goal, Listen, the goal was a little bit of a crap goal to concede, weren't it, really? I actually thought David Lewis uh, had a really good game. I spoke to Max about it. I think Max was in agreement with that, and he said that it was a, he did have a good game. Uh, but if you spoke to Manny and Scunny and some of the others, they disagreed and said he was he was garbage. Well, I thought that was a bit harsh, really, because I actually thought he was fairly commanding and had a good game. Um, but when it comes to the Aubameyang situation, no complaints from me. 100% was a red card. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't care what people say about the intent and how malicious it was. It's a red card, you know. In the, in the rules of the game, he can't. He comes in and he goes over that. So that 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 for me was was no qualms. And then really, when we went down to ten men, I thought that we could have lost the game. I thought there was only one team that was going to go on to win it, and it certainly wasn't going to be us. I thought Lacazette was really poor. I must admit, I really did think Lacazette was poor. And I think there's nothing, no doubt, in that he's not he's not trying hard. I just think that it's so obvious that he was one of the many players who down tools on Emery because he really has struggled um the last few games with his fitness everything he's trying to uh trying to do just doesn't come off and i thought along with Meza Ozil and Pepe they were probably three of the weak links for me everybody else you won't have many many uh many much bad to say about them if i'm honest with you but Lacazette really does need to step up now because the Aubameyang is now out and i really hope that he can do it but listen the second half overall performance for me it wasn't a shocking one and we didn't lose the game and we could have done that over under Unai Emery previously so that's a positive for me Potsy, looking at the Abamyang and the red card and, and Max, whoever wants to jump in on this one. And I, I want to get uh, opinions from both sides. Um, being at the game, I, I've been on Highbury squad um, on Sunday and we're talking about the game as well. I was on with Kevin, uh, the super Kevin Campbell uh, and Amanda and Sophie. And we discussed the Abamyang red card. Um, for me, seeing it live, I saw it like the ref did. I saw it as a yellow card. I thought it was a, it, it was a, I want, oof, he's getting a card for that. And it's the opposite side from the away fans. Uh, it's right in front of the dugouts. The dugouts didn't jump up too much overall. Um, the, the, the ref gave a, a, a yellow card and then it ended up being um, VAR and VAR rolled it back and forth, I think. I can't see it. I'm at the ground. Um, rolled it back and forth, slowed it down, zoomed in, everything else, and eventually made it look the, the graphic that we all saw, which looks like a horrendous tackle. Um, and he gets a, a red card, not Robinson at um, Liverpool, because we're not Liverpool. <laughs> um, <laughs> what... what it, from a Palace point of view, what did you think first of all, Dina? I, I think, I mean, I I've, I was listening to it on the radio. Um, I saw it obviously a match of the day in the evening. Um, it did look nasty. It was, but as they were saying, the intent, you know, it's more probably clumsy the way he caught him. But you know, I think if the boot had been on the other foot, I think you would have been screaming for a red card as well. I think it was the right decision. I know they appealed today, didn't they? Which got turned down. So, um, which I think, well, yeah, we I think it was the right decision. In it's the not even you know, worth a conversation. It it could have you know, really on. Another, it could have been someone's career for you know quite some time. 
it's so far from even being worth a conversation there was there was forget about intent but there was there was no power involved he he had who cares it's blatant it's ankle it's a horrific challenge it's a leg breaker it 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 ticks the box for like four of the five parameters that are required for a straight red card. It's a straight red card every day of the week. Like anyone online who's like, oh, you know, a bit harsh. Oh, what happened with Andy Robinson? Sod what happened with Andy Robinson. (laughs) We're looking to get the right decisions out of VAR. It's the right decision out of VAR. Max Meyer in a decimated squad is now injured. He's unable to return to the pitch. Now, granted, VAR shouldn't be making decisions based on what the result of the challenge is, right? That that I'm 100% against, that they shouldn't be able to go back and say, now that he's injured, it's a red card. But there is no conversation here. There's nothing to be spoken about. It's high. It's dangerous. It's a leg breaker. He gets injured. It's a red card. Done. But tre- tre- Trevor also says, yellow card from watching in the ground. Who gives a right toss up. what it is from watching on the ground? Selhurst but that's Park what the worst, sees. But that's Selhurst what the Park is sees. the worst place to watch football anyway. The camera angle's too low. There's obstructed views everywhere. I don't think live from a stand is ever a great place to have an opinion from. Anyway, on these very, very tight margin decisions, I don't think it's a great place to have an opinion have from. On, on a daily ba- on, on, on a week in, week out basis, don't you think, Max? Live on TV, I said, oh, he's lucky there. And then it went to VAR. And the second it went to VAR, I said, he's gone. And the second so, it came up on the TV, so the I said, is, he's gone. Is the game for television or is the, is the game for the TV? No, no, no. That's not, it's not, it's not an argument that needs to be had. Like, one, you can see it intimately and closely. I would say that the referee made a mistake in giving the yellow card and that it should have been a straight red. And those sorts of challenges are the sorts of challenges that have seen players like Eduardo have their careers finished. Players like Ramsey have their legs broken. You know, these things, like if you want to talk about things that have to get out of the game, and if you want to talk about VAR actually doing its job in the way that it was brought in to do its job, VAR never should have been brought in for like, Nat's penis offsides. Like that was never what VAR was meant to be bought in for. VAR was meant to be bought in for the howler. VAR was meant to be bought in for like the Henri handballs against Ireland. VAR was meant to be. You had to be Max. You had to be Max. Well, I'm trying to hit a nerve here, Potsy. I'm trying to hit a nerve. So I've gone somewhere that's close to home. Um, VAR was bought in for that. VAR was bought in for bad, bad challenges. And VAR. Th- theoretically was brought in for bad dives that's var operating the way it's meant to operate it's a red card onwards do you not, do you not think the here. referee should have gone to their pitch side camera anybody but they've obviously been directed not to do it because there has to be a reason why they're doing it everywhere michael else but they're not doing it here michael oliver did in the fa cup it's a premier league directive rather than a, 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 a um an english football directive Uh, it, look, I, I don't know why they're not doing it. It's It makes more sense. The thing is, like, if we're going to get onto the whole VAR chat, football is subjective. That's the nature of football. And that's why, I don't know if you remember, Fergus, but you and I were on a podcast, on a Guns and the Yellow Rib- Ribbons podcast, mid-last season. I think I was on with you, Trev, and Johnny from the North Bank. And all you guys were pro-VAR. And I was saying, be careful what you wish for. This thing will ruin football. Football is subjective. So the problem is you're taking a subjective view from a referee and then going and giving a different referee with a different subjective view an opportunity to then apply what his understanding of the rules are. So the whole concept of VAR, the whole concept of removing a subjective decision from a person and giving it to someone else with another subjective decision doesn't make any sense. So the only way it makes sense is if you're going from the pitch to a pitch side camera and reviewing your own personal opinion, which means me as the ref now, I'm going to change my personal opinion. Why has the Premier League not allowed that? I think it's because a lot of what they were trying to do is they were trying to remove like the anger from the crowd directly from the referee and remove the anger from the players directly from the referee. So it dissipates into something imaginary in a bloke in a truck sitting somewhere else. Aussie guest, um, as Heath calls you, um, he totally agrees with you that the pitch side um, uh, 
camera uh, screen should be used. I actually, you you cite that podcast, and yeah, we did say we were supportive of VAR. I still am supportive of VAR. Um, my issue with VAR is not actually VAR; it's the rules, the rules around uh, Nat's penis distance on on um, off sides. Uh, the, the 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 one I actually have written down here. Um, Potsy, what did you make of uh, the VAR decision about um, Rice and the West Ham, uh, you know, where where it hit his arm? It's just ridiculous. It's a madness. And uh, I said on uh, on Monday night's podcast that the VAR stands for very awful refereeing. Um, and, I stand, <laughs> and, I, and I stand by it because it's just it's getting on my nerves now. It's not so much VAR that has frustrated me. Here's the thing. It's the rules that are getting in the way of it now. The rules for me are just so unclear. And I said right at the start of the season in preseason with you, Fergus, that football is, is not black and white. Football is very grey and there's too many grey areas in football. And Graham Souness made a great point about the offside situation the other week. And I'm not a fan of this guy at all in terms wow. of his punditry. But Graham Souness, sir. Exactly. <laughs> this is this is how bad it's getting when you're agreeing with that guy, right? So he made a great point, which I thought was, if a part of your body is onside, then the goal should be given. And I think that is black and white. If there's a part of your body that's onside, the goal's given. Great, it's black and white. At the moment, it's not. It's so grey. That's the offside thing. With the handball and the Declan Rice thing, are we supposed to be running now with our hands tied behind our backs? Because there's no way that this guy can do anything about that whatsoever. And if they are the laws, then you can't shout about a VAR because VAR is just looking at something and saying the laws state that's a handball. But the rules need to be looked at now because if that anything hits your hand and it's handball now, this just ruining the game. So that's why everyone hates VAR because they get frustrated that it's brought in to look at stuff Dino, like that. Dino, um, your fans in particular, your ultras um and we did sing about your famous atmosphere and where was your famous atmosphere in the first half uh we couldn't, <laughs> couldn't hear any of it. It, it, it it did come a little bit more apparent in the second half but in the first half they had banners up in the in in the whatever stand it is at the end behind the goal um they had banners up about var as a joke and var needs to be taken out of the game and no to var and we actually were singing as away fans K-E-A-R, E-A-R, and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, you had a banner up, and then within seconds there was well, – well, actually, the banner was still up when VAR was in motion for the Abamyang, um, uh red card. And all of a sudden, everyone was going, whoa, VAR, what's your thoughts on VAR? I, I, I echo a lot of Dan's sentiments, actually, regarding VAR. It's not. I th- I think they'll have to have another look at it at the end of the season because it's not really performing how we everyone thought it would be performing. There are so many, as you said, Dan, so many grey areas. Um, there's it's just stupid. I know with referee decisions, you know, old school, it was like the law of averages. You know, you win some, you lose some, but you can't be sure what's happening now. You know, people celebrate they've scored a goal. And then there's suddenly a stop and then there's a pause and then you wait and then no, everyone's waiting to see, you know, which way it's going to go. It, it, it's ruining football, in my opinion. Um, I think they really need to have a long, hard look at the end of the season. Just bin it. Just bin it. There was nothing wrong with football. There has been nothing wrong with football for the entire of the time that football has existed. Bin it. It's a terrible thing. It's ruining every single aspect of football. It's ruining your ability to celebrate. It will ruin a cup final. Can you imagine going through and scoring a 93rd minute winner in a cup final and it goes to, and it goes to VAR and you've got to sit there and you're like, hold on a sec. Yeah. We'll never, we'll never no. have that. Where are moment again, it's, would we? It's, it should be. And you know what? If anyone's going to do it, it'll be the Premier League. Because the Premier League's got the balls to do it. The Premier League's got the balls to stand there, stand there and say at the end of the season, you know what? We gave this a crack and football was better without it. There was no problem with football. By the end of the season, you're like, we got some offsides. We didn't get some offsides. I mean, boys, we've got like Sanchez's goal. <laughs> Sanchez's goal in the FA Cup final. That's a handball every day of the week. Every day of the week. So we don't get that FA Cup with VAR. You know, it's like I said it six months ago on the podcast and I argued with you guys six months ago and I said, careful what you wish for. It's ruining every game. 
I'll, I'll tell you one way that you may be able to get a little bit of the best of both worlds, and that's to go to a captain's challenge or a manager's challenge using the fourth official and allowing them to have one or two opportunities per game to be able to actually to allow them to have one or two opportunities per game to be able to actually say to the ref, no, that's not right. Because the players generally know on the pitch. They know if it's a handball. And it would stop all this silly, like, constantly, relentlessly appealing and trying to get it to go to VAR. A captain's challenge would work for me more than anything else to allow them to say, ref, go and have a look at that. We think that something's gone on. Trev, Trev um, mentions about the Maradona handball. That, that would have been... Um goal would have been ruled out on, on the back of VAR. Listen, uh, uh, not trying to get into a huge VAR uh, debate. I, I, I think in principle, it can work. I think they need to change the rules and uh, put in, you know, bring back in the daylight rule they're talking about and, and, and look at some of that sort of stuff. Um, but also, I think that the the ref in the in, in, in what Scotty you might also put up what you call him some guy some guy in a van what what, what do you call flogging him his, uh, uh, guy in his van flogging his dolphin I loved that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the 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 guy in the van flogging his dolphin needs to only be uh, interrupted when it's clear and obvious mistake rather than uh, you know ruining his dolphin. Um, just to finish up on the Palace game, <laughs> oh, my imagery is just ridiculous. Pepe, Martinelli, Lacazette combining. When Martinelli came on, he was he was lightning. He was <laughs> <laughs> for anybody who's listened to the audio version. You need to get onto the live YouTube and Facebook versions. The comments that are coming in are really really good. We got. Ben, we got 95 Winston, we got Heath, we got uh, Andy Fink. There's loads of people making Ross uh, making comments in there. So just uh, join in and uh, we have a giggle of what you say sometimes. Just keep it clean, please. Um, the uh, Martinelli was um, such a threat when he came on. Um, right, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Heath, Pro professionalism, Fergus, let's go. Yeah, Heath is fiddling with Flipper. Anyway, so Martinelli, uh, what did we make of Martinelli and his uh, his performance for fifteen minutes? Yeah, no, I'm really done. Go on. Sorry, mate. Yeah, I'm really excited about this lad. I think he's got so much ability. He looks the most exciting lad we've had in a long time, in my opinion, in terms of his age. I think we've had quite a few youngsters come through that have shown glimpses, but it just seems for me that every time this guy comes on, it looks like something's going to happen. He always looks to drive forward, and that's what I love about players. He looks exciting when he comes on. And, you know, I said before that I thought Laka had a bit of a bad game, but as soon as Martinelli come on, we just looked a different team. And I'm so excited to see now that he, I, I believe, uh, should get, the free games that I believe he deserves. Now, when it comes to it, I, I don't know if you know this, Max, but they were saying that he might be called up to the Olympics. Is uh, is that happening or is he not? So last I saw, he hadn't made the squad. He hadn't okay. made the, the, the full team. And, and I, I did put up a tweet saying, if Arsenal were to actually allow him to go now, it would be catastrophic regardless of of whether he decided he wanted to go i know he's a young man i know he probably wants to to uh uh perform for his country and get picked for his country and start that process but in all honesty like we are we are paper thin paper mm. thin you know and there's a lot of talk now about people saying oh we've got to keep eddie niketia and you know dan i'm interested to to know what you think about this but like honestly guys eddie niketia honestly can we can we get to a point where we're willing to drop this 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 idea that he's somehow going to come in and do something? He's literally done nothing except for come on off the bench in his first game. It was his first game, his second game. I think it was his first game when he came on and scored the late winner. Like Niketia is not going to do anything in a Premiership team. He's just gone to Leeds and done very little in a Leeds team and not been able to get. He was injured. Yeah, I know, but he still wasn't able to get a lot done over Bamford. I, I just think. You know, at some point we have to sort of put a line through this and say, "Okay, cool." Who, who, who 
fans were quite pleased with him. I have a friend of mine who's a Leeds fan, and he was quite impressed with him. He played, I think he scored six in his first four. Um, then he had a gro- a, some sort of groin strain. Um, I think him going out to Bristol, we, we were going mm. to jump on the youth players in a minute, but um, we'll touch on Nketia now. But him, him, uh, he's meant to be going to Bristol. It's not being confirmed yet, yeah. but... I, I think I, I think that's a that's a really good idea. I think the website the website confirmed it by accident, pretty much, didn't they? Yeah, 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 it came yeah. on to say that Enketia is going to Bristol City. He was like, "Oops!" But to be fair, I'm happy with that. I'm with Max. I don't think that it's a, a good idea to throw him in now. I think Martinelli has proven that he, you know already in preseason and what we've seen in the cup games, Europa League games, and also now some of the Premier League games that he is good enough to be in this side. I'm excited to see what he can do now that Aubameyang's out. But the one player that we do need to say, you know, at the moment, or the two players really, that we do need to see pick it up, particularly at the weekend, is is going to be Lacazette and Pepe because, you know, they're the ones that we paid the money for. We shouldn't be relying and putting too much, uh, you know, pressure on this young lad when we've spent a lot of money on the other two. So, do you think Lacazette had such a bad game? Some, yes. some people on social media are really being harsh on him. I thought, I thought his work rate, again... It might be different being at the game because sometimes watching on TV is very, very much uh, a different view. Um, you see sometimes more on TV than you do um, at the game, but sometimes watching it on the game, I thought, I thought he just he hustled and he was strong and he, he does he that though, doesn't he? He does do that. He does try. I've never ever 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 doubted the fact that he does try, but nothing's coming off for this lad at the moment, and it just proves to me that he just gave up on on Emery a, a few weeks ago. He just gave up, and now it's he's kind of. Been affected by that. For me, he was one of the weaknesses. I think him, Pepe and Ozil. I mean, Ozil was just invisible again, wasn't he? Why do we keep playing him away from home? Just uh, just leave again, it. Just leave it. Again, Ozil, I thought, um, in the first half, made some great flicks and touches. And it just looked like that some of our players weren't good enough. To, uh, listen, I, I, I don't think Ozil is an Arsenal player. I've said that quite a lot. I don't think he's an Arsenal player. And Dino, you can come in and see what you thought about the game. Well, you only saw a match of the day, so it's going to be difficult for you to, to comment a little bit. But um, Ozil's not really um, an Arsenal player. I don't think he's necessarily a Premier League player. He's definitely world class. And he does look like he's coming back a bit closer than where he was before. Under Emery, he was just like gone. The one player I will ask you about, Dino, is Maitland-Niles. Um what did you make of Maitland-Niles? Because I've heard recently he's, you know, after he went into the dressing room, he got changed and he was emptying his pockets. And he had, I think he had an iPhone, he had this iPhone, he had the, the, the iPhone 11, the latest one. The, and he had his keys to his Bentley. Um, he had the keys to his big mansion. Um, and he had Wilfred Zaha in his pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was waiting for that one to come up. Oh, Wilf, Wilf, Wilf is just, I don't know. He's not in the right frame of mind at the moment. I think he's just he's waiting for the offers to come in. He's he's been fairly poor the last few weeks. Um, uh, regarding you know, say Arsenal, I I think it's your defence. You know, they they look nervous at times. And at the beginning of the season, I know you know we got Cahill. It was someone um, might be in Sky Sports said they they can't believe Arsenal didn't come in for him. He has been a revolution for us. And I know he's getting on, but he's brought, you know, an air of calm at back. And um, he would have been a good asset for you, even if with just one or more two seasons left in him. I can't believe you didn't go for him. Mm. I, I must admit, I, I thought that would have been an all right signing, Gary Cahill, and at the time, and everyone laughed at it. But I think he's been great for Palace. I really think he's been a steady, a steady head, and looks more like a, a leader and commander at the back. I will say though, I did think David Luiz, and I actually do think David Luiz has been fantastic under Mikel Arteta. I think he was really poor uh, when we signed him in the first few games. I think under Emery, when everyone down tools, he was particularly poor. But for me, Gary Cahill, uh, sorry, David Luiz has been really good under Mikel Arteta. Yeah, for two or three games, Dan, and I, I think I, on balance, I would have preferred Cahill, and I said it at the time, um, I preferred Cahill over the time. Just to address Trev Ford, um, Trev says world-class player, um, but uh, not good enough for Arsenal. It's an opinion, Trev. I know you you love him. I know I, I, You'd marry him if it was allowed, but, you know, he's only got two eyes and he can't have any more eyes for you, mate. I'm sorry. Um, I can't I can't do it as well. Can I just say, who's, Ferg? I who's, can't that, do... who's that regarding? What player is that regarding? Oh, Mesut. Oh. Tre- Mesut Tre- 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 
huge Ozil fan. And fair just, enough, I'm, I'm fine with that. But just on that, I can't deal with. Um, I think someone commented as well. I can't see the comment now, but there was a comment earlier about the fact that he's a great player, but he hasn't got the right players around him. Please stop with that because. I, I I can't. There we go. Oh, is Andy Fink? I like Andy. Don't get me wrong, but I just I, that, that's got that's got this stuff's got to stop because. But I actually agree with Andy. The the top talent around him to perform. What 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 more do we need around him then? Please explain to me because we've got a seventy two million pound winger, we've got a fifty five million pound striker, and we've got a sixty million pound striker. They're all apparently elite players. So what are we supposed to do then? Who is supposed to be around him? Yeah, it's because he's a, a fair weather player. He's a fair well, weather first, player. You can't blame to... Chaka for for the Özil's performances. No. It, it, you know, for me, the, he's got players around him. Özil just decides that he doesn't want to turn up in games, and in that game, he decided that for whatever reason, he didn't want to turn up because they're a different, difficult side to play against. Meza Özil in a in a home game against a team, let's say like I don't know, maybe a, a Bournemouth or a, or a Burnley will turn up and it will absolutely annihilate teams. Yeah, because it's one of those games that is quite nice for him. For me doesn't do it away from home because it's a little bit different. It's a little bit of a toxic atmosphere. It's not quite as nice for him and it just doesn't turn up for me. And I've had enough of it now. We've seen it now for six seasons and he had a brilliant game against Manchester United and Chelsea and everybody loved him. And then all of a sudden he goes away again and he disappears. Sorry, Max, he, go on. I, I was just going to say, he's a fair, he's a fair weather player. One second, Max. Yeah, and, and, and you are right, but he was better this season at Palace away than he was last season. Max, go and, ahead. And look, like like I said before, right? He's a fair weather player. When all of the stars align for Mesut Ozil and the game is playing out in a specific way, then Mesut Ozil is a world-class player. It is undeniable the level of skill that he has. It is undeniable the level of talent that he has. And when you line him up with every single player in the team and you sat there and you said, let's do some skills challenges. Let's see who's got the best touch. Let's see who can find the best pass. Let's see who can hold on to possession the best. Mesut Ozil will come out top of the pops every time. The problem for Mesut Ozil has nothing to do with the skill. The problem for Mesut Ozil has to do with something that's somehow kind of unexplainable inside of him. I mean, he's a world-class footballer. He, he can't lack an amount of desire. But somewhere along the line in, in his career, whether it's how much he's achieved or where he's come from or post-World Cup or the fact that he's stepped down from Real, he's reached a point in his Arsenal career now where he clearly doesn't have that same mentality or that same drive that someone else would have. I personally have thought that Mesut Ozil has been much better under Arteta. But I also said... Every time I said that, the caveat is is we've seen blips from Ozil in the past, these little punches where he puts together five games and then he goes off the edge again. In this game, I thought that he paid a huge amount of lip service to tracking back. I think his tracking back is incredibly ineffective, but when he actually decides that he wants to look like he's tracking back, that's important as well because at least in his mind, he's saying, I need to do something for the club here. Now, whether or not he's effective when he's tracking back is another entire thing. It reminds me a little bit of my favorite player, Theo Walcott, right? Every now and then. <laughs> Don't get me started. You know I love Theo, but that's just drill me in the comments, boys. Everyone can have a go at me. Everyone always does. But, you know, Theo always no. used to – he would just no. track back and he would look like he was trying hard but be completely <laughs> ineffective doing anything. So, I, look, I didn't actually think Mesut was that bad in this game. I didn't think it was his worst performance for Arsenal. I didn't think it was his worst away performance for Arsenal. I thought Agreed. that that, lip, that little touch into Lacazette, that one touch into Lacazette, essentially made the goal for Aubameyang. And then once again, once Palace decided to make it bitty and Palace decided to make it an away game, what happened to Mesut? Mesut dissipated. And I think this is where, if you're Arteta, you need to look at pulling the pin on Mesut earlier. So if you want to start him with what we've got on the pitch, I think right now he probably gets into the starting 11. We're very, very thin for number 10s. We're very thin for creativity. So I think you start him, and when he's not working, you maybe take that Emery approach and you pull him at halftime, you pull him at 60 minutes, you put a hard-working midfielder in there. So finishing up on the Palace game, because we've really overshot, and maybe that's the max effect. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we've really overshot. Um, uh What's his name? Riderweld, is that his name? Uh, Dino? Sorry, can you G say it again? Giaro... I'm, I'm, I crucify... <laughs> oh, Giaro Riderweld. Riderweld, that's it. 
<laughs> he officially, is, he's finally getting his chance. Officially, um, BBC um, voted him as man of the match with three tackles as a left back, three tackles, two interceptions and four clearances. Would you agree with him? Was it, was he the man of the match uh, for Palace? Yes. And was he the man of the match overall between both sides? Um, well, I'd put a close um, run thing between him and Guaita. I mean, our keeper has just been outstanding this season. I know Man City is sniffing around, but Reader um, had a chance to get in. He's only got in now because Van Arnold's injured. And um, he's been overlooked by Roy for the last two seasons. He's a quality player. He is a quite, I think he came from Ajax, I think. I might be wrong on that. But um, now he's getting some game time. He's showing his class. And I'm, you know, I'm glad he's getting a chance now because Van Arnold has his moments. But. Um, He's gone missing in a few games lately. I think there's some of the, you know, so-called stars, um, because it's Palace, they think, you know, well, my name's first on the sheet, um, which and, and at times it has been. And I think Roy just doesn't seem to want to experiment, which is a shame, really. Especially in, he had a chance in the cup game, you know, a couple of weeks back where we went out. But he, I know we got a lot of injuries, but there were players he could have, um, you know, thrown a few youngsters in. Which he didn't, and he, and ended up getting a couple more players injured that day. Uh, you don't get many chances in this this league, you know, especially at our level. We've got a sort of set starting twelve, fourteen. Um, other than that, you know, if anything starts to go wrong, it gets difficult. Max, who would you have had your uh, man of the match? I actually had David Louise. Um, I thought he was incredibly commanding. 13 final third entry passes. I think he had the most amount of clearances, the most amount of duels won. I think he had the most amount of passes for the game, one of the highest passing accuracies. I, I thought it was a hugely, hugely dominant performance and a very close run second to uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who I genuinely believe Hector Bellerin is going to struggle to get back into this team as long as Maitland-Niles maintains his form. Potsy, man of the match. It can be either side, man, but I'm, I'm assuming you're going to uh, pick a, an Arsenal player. Man, Maitland-Niles, bro. Maitland-Niles for me. He had Zaha in his pocket, as we joked about it, and he was the one that I thought was going to cause his issues, and I was really impressed. And do you know what? I've been really impressed with him under Mikel Arteta as well, because everybody said to me he wasn't a right-back. Everyone said to me he was more of a midfielder. When he did get pushed forward in a couple of the games, we were really low of confidence, and he looked absolutely dreadful in a few of those games. So now we, since he's been in reverting into right-back, for me, when Bellerin does come back, we shouldn't just throw him back in, because if Maitland-Niles continues to play like this, I'm more than happy with him. I think he's been really, really good. So Maitland-Niles, man of the match for me, mate. I have to agree with you, Maitland-Niles. Um, being played, as you said, uh, out of position is natural so-called position. Uh, I don't know what um, Steve Round and uh, Mikel Arteta have said to him to make him feel as confident as he looked in that role. Um, he looked fantastic. Torreira was close second, um, but he was taken off. Gwendouzi, I thought was average, uh, but I'm not a huge fan. Um, <laughs> Let's not go into that, man. Let's yeah, not go into that. We, we, we've got about 10 minutes left. Quickly looking at the youth players that are going out on loan, we got um, Death Row, um, Emil Smith-Rowe. He's off to... Huddersfield. Huddersfield, um, that hopefully he'll get some game time there. Um, we touched on Inketia, possibly going to Bristol. Uh, Mavropanis confirmed to Nuremberg. Um, Iliev is gone to a Polish team, which I'm going to crucify the name. So, any Polish fans of uh, Baliastok? Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> cru the crucifier of names. Thank you, producer Mike. <laughs> he's good at this, you know. He's he's actually too good at this. <laughs> are, are we happy with um, the players that got out of loan? And do you think six months on loan and a preseason that they actually could break into the the first team with a good loan spell? Max, you go first. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of kids that that need loans. I, I mean, injuries notwithstanding, or some better players. I even think that Willock and Nelson would do really well with going getting a loan and getting some proper serious minutes. And the thing I like is I like these kids going to the championship because it's a hard league and it's a physical league. And I think that's the step up 
that so many of them struggle to make. I don't think it's a it's a technical step up. I mean, if you take someone like Reese Nelson, uh, under 21s, he was dominant. I mean, really dominant and technically head and shoulders above a lot of people at under 21s. He went over to Germany, which is a step up physically to adults, but still not the step up that you would be making into the premiership. Uh, and he was still able to play there. And I think you've seen him come into the Prem and, and struggle a bit physically. So even guys like that, I, th- I think that that move down to the championships, really good, maybe not for upping their skills. You're not going to get better players at the end of it, but I think they're going to go down there. They're going to have lumps kicked out of them by men. Uh, and it looks good. Smithrow definitely needed a uh, go. John Jules definitely needed to go out. Look, Mavropanos, as far as I'm concerned, may be the most overrated Arsenal prospect in Arsenal history. So I hope he goes over there and finds some way to keep his body together and maybe he comes back a, a better player, maybe he doesn't. But yeah, all, all good moves, all good loan moves. And with the state of affairs at Arsenal, we, we really need probably three or four of these guys to at least become squad players for Arsenal because it's going to aid us in the rebuild that we have over the next three years. Potsy, briefly. Yeah, very briefly. Eddie and Ketty, a great move. I hope he gets game time and scores goals. John Jules at Lincoln, hope he scores goals. Mavroponos, I'm with Max. I'm not too sure about him. Uh, and when it comes to Smith Rowe, I hope he bulks himself up a bit over in Huddersfield. I think uh, the uh, Danny Cowley will be good for him and try and, try and turn him into a bit of a man. Do I think any of those players are going to make it at Arsenal? No, but I hope I'm wrong. I think the ones that will make it are the ones that are getting more game time now already, like the Maitland-Niles, Guendouzi's, Martinelli's and Sackers. But for me, um, I hope they do very, very well. Dino, uh, a question to you, I suppose. If there was a player that you can see in the fringes on the squad of Arsenal um, that you would like to take, are there any players that you know of that you would like to take, say, on a loan into the, the Palace squad or not? It, it, it's not a loaded question. You can go, no. No, uh... I'll have to be honest. I'm not. I'm not familiar with the fringe players of Arsenal. Just the, no, no, I agree. Regular first team, really. Okay. Yeah, that young, that young, that young player, that young player, Abamyang. You wouldn't mind him, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, he, he's a bit tasty, and he he knows where the goal is, and uh, he knows where the ankles are as well. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with uh, Maitland-Niles' pocket. Um, <laughs> transfer window. We've got no money again. Freaking hell. You know, why has Carl got no money? Um, we're linked to stones from Man City. Um, we're not my notes here, which is Man United. That's my phone doing stuff. Uh, Botang from Munich. Uh, Kaise from Milan. And Bruno Grimes from a Brazilian side. Any of those going to come off? What about some unknown guy, Wilfred Zaha from a small team in South London? Any any, any of these? Um, <laughs> any of these moves going to come off, Max? Uh, I think we'll do very little in January, and I said it. I've said it on a number of podcasts leading in. It's a tough market in January. You don't tend to get permanent players. I think it's more of a loan market or a swap market in January. But quite frankly, guys, we're paper thin at centre-back and any move at this stage, any loan move at this stage is going to be beneficial to us. The John Stones thing, I think, is 200% bollocks, but, you know, that's my opinion. I know a lot of people aren't interested in in Boateng, but, I mean, seriously, six months, if it ends up costing us a million, we're not paupers. We can afford a loan that doesn't work. As long as it's not another Kim, Kim Kalstrom-esque signing, I'll be quite happy. Hmm. Potsy, anything that you want to add on that side? I just don't want to see us panic by. Um, personally, I feel that, you know, with Mustafi looking like he's going and Mavropanos off, we definitely need defenders. I mean, Holding is still not 100% fit. We obviously have Luis and Socrates. But for me, I can't see anything. If it is going to be, uh, I can't see anything big. If it is going to be anything, it will be a Boateng on loan. Or if we can get a deal for somebody like um somebody like Stones or something like that, then that's, for me, what I can see happening. We're not going to get an upper Meccano, uh, and I don't believe we're going to get um, William Saliba, uh, which was the rumours to start with that we might get him back earlier than uh, the summer. I just can't see it personally. It's a shame because we do need a centre-half. We do need a defensive midfielder. We're still really short in fullback, um, but I just can't see it's going to happen. Um. I suppose that finishes um, 
the the Guna debate and the, the talk about um uh about transfers and and and, and loanies and, and the palace game. Um I do like what Andy Fink has said. Uh like I, I like the ultras that you've got at um at Palace. <laughs> and I, I like it because I've been to, to Germany uh and uh, been in the K block at Dresden and, and so on. But one thing that I think Palace have taken from um from America, which I think should be uh brought to the Emirates is your cheer cheerleaders. What do you reckon? <laughs> do you know? Not bad, are they? Uh, they're worth the entrance mm, fee alone, no. I must admit. <laughs> and you've got City uh, away to City at the weekend. Yeah, I know. You know How many? It never rains, it pours. Uh, again, you know, if please someone offer me a draw now and I'll take it because I think it, I, I settle for well, worst case, I think 3 0. That'd be enough for me. And I, I mean, that's Man City 3, Aston Hill, obviously. I don't think we'll repeat what we did last season, put it that way. No, I'm <laughs> who's, who's coming? No cheerleaders. The Hammerettes. What are the Hammerettes? The Hammer Trules. The Hammerettes. They'll be the Goonerettes. <laughs> Hammerettes. Um, yeah, that 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 be the West Ham ones. Um, we've got Sheffield uh, at home, Sheffield United. I'm bringing Joseph um, to uh, to his game. It, it's for his birthday. Um, he will be 11 on Tuesday, so I'm bringing him there. I was hoping to get a meet and greet with the team. Uh, things have not quite worked out. It, it might later, but it's un, it's unlikely uh, to happen. Um, Noah Bamiyang, what striker do you start with? What what do you go three up top? Um, uh, do you do a, a four four two, Max? What's your thoughts? As uh, having a look at what Arteta's has done so far, I think he's going to go with the most cohesive option he can, which will just be Obama Yang out, Martinelli in, everything else the same. Okay, Potsy, any any different? No, exactly the same. I think Martinelli's going to come in. Lacazette will go up top through the middle, and Pepe will be on the right. I think that's exactly what's going to be. I don't really believe that. Uh, there's much difference I can see. I don't believe Nelson will come in, so I think it will be those three. And I hope it is those three, if I'm honest, because I feel that that, that that's the strongest option um, for a front three. Great. Okay, guys, um, any score predictions on the game? I've gone for 2-1 Arsenal. I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet, so I've gone for a 2-1. I okay. went for a 1-1 one, one Fergus. 1-1 one, one. Sheffield are a tough game, and I can't see us having the... Uh, can't see us having the firepower, not with Lacazette misfiring. Hmm. I think I think I, I'm going to go for three-one, um, providing the caveat is providing we get the first goal. Um, if uh, Sheffield get the first goal, we're screwed. Um, you saw it against West Ham; they're very, very defensive. They're very, very structured, um, and uh, if they get one up, they, they're they're Arsenal of the nineteen. 1980s, 1990s, 1-0 to Sheffield United. Um, guys, thank you very much. Dino, I really appreciate you coming on. It um, wasn't as difficult as you thought because you got a draw. As you said, you probably wouldn't have been here if uh, if if you'd lost. But fair, a good sport to you for coming on to an Arsenal podcast and sticking out an hour off us as well. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, Fergus. Can I just say a big shout out to my West Ham fans? Uh, who I know, I've got I know quite a few, and this season's been kind to us, home and away. So all I want to say is, mine's a double. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Max. Hopefully, we've woken you up and you're ready for Thursday. Um, yeah, mate. You're well, over the ump. Coffee's sinking in. Yeah, I've got to go play a golf tournament now, so ready to go. Okay, and if anybody is in Melbourne and you want to go to a bar in Melbourne, what's the name of the bar they should go to? Uh, come to Bowbird, guys. Beautiful gym bar in Richmond. And if you want to listen to a podcast that is definitely, definitely not for the children to listen to, you should not put it on your car, and you need a <laughs> lot of time to listen yep. to two hours of Max Manny. Trev and so on 
Talk uh, yeah, guys, the the Ask Brothers rank cast. So four guys sitting in a room drinking and swearing and trying to be somewhat analytical. Like Fergus said, definitely not for the kids. But we do actually cover some really good deep content in between horrific swear words and uh, jokes about penises. And normally lots of illegal substances and alcohol consumed <laughs> in the process. Yep, yep. We definitely don't hide from the world. <laughs> Party, Max, what's uh, that, Max, what's in that coffee, mate? Is there anything in your coffee this morning? No, mate, trust me, that's just coffee. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, Potsy, obviously we've plugged your uh, Potsy previews and you're on um, every podcast that's on. You're on. You've been on Arsenal Bros. You've been on us. You've been on same old Arsenal. But you just love being talking Arsenal, don't you? Yeah, man, it's a great hobby for me. I love it. And uh, things ain't going great at the moment either. So it's a little bit hard at times, but it's still nice to let off steam. But um, yeah, but thanks for the plug, man. Potts preview on same old Arsenal. Much appreciated. And uh, you've been, you've, I think you've all been on now. All three of you have actually been on. So uh, yeah, great stuff. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, in the background, we have producer Mike Scunny has been in the background uh, controlling all your questions and putting them up, made life an awful lot easier for me because there's been a lot of questions coming through. So we really do thank you for that. Remember, this is an Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. Scunny, where are you? I've lost it now. Uh, hang on one second. <laughs> um, you have been listening to uh, uh, Guns and Yellow Ribbons live. Um it, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Guns and Ribbons. Uh, you, if you're watching us on YouTube, remember to uh, click the bell. And if you're on Facebook, uh, subscribe. Um, thanks very much. As, ed- as always, up the arse. Up the arse. Thanks for listening to Guns and Yellow Ribbons, an Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. Follow us on Facebook at Guns and Yellow Ribbons or Twitter at Guns and Ribbons and remember to rate and review us too.